I, I feel like I wouldn't be able to do the external things if I didn't do my day job properly because then it will counteract everything. Because if something goes wrong at work, I felt like they would always blame that on the external thing. You're missing deadlines because you're always doing X, Y, Z. So for me, I put extra pressure on myself to deliver at work. If that meant that I was working later than everyone else, then so be it. Welcome to the Valuable Podcast, where there is value in every conversation. I'm your host, Victor Sasanya, and today I'm joined by Reggie Nelson, author of Opening Doors and Private Equity Associate. In this episode, we discuss Reggie's experience growing up in East London and his daring moves towards achieving a successful career in the finance industry. First things first, shout out Zencaster, who is the sponsor of this episode and season two of the Valuable Podcast. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting platform, which I've personally used from day one to record my podcast. So there's no lies told. I know this platform. I record both quality audio and HD video online using Zencaster. So if you want to start a podcast, then you can too with 30% off your first three months. So go to Z en.ai forward slash valuable one and use my promo code valuable one alternatively just click the link in the description below then apply the code valuable one Zencaster has over 10,000 podcasters like myself in the creator network and they're successfully matching brands and companies with podcasters every day so even if you're a brand interested in sponsoring this show or running a podcast ads to grow your business go to zen.ai forward slash valuable pod one and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business dreams to life without further ado Let's get straight into this episode. If you don't have the Reggie Nelson's Opening Doors book, you're doing it all wrong. Um, you know, this is a powerful, powerful book where Reggie actually literally lays his life story out bare for you guys to read to catch up on who he is and his journey, which we'll get into. But in your book, you talk about from young, you were like sort of that um person that someone talks back to you, you want to grab them, you know, rough them up a bit, yeah. punch them. So where did this like where did this humility and humbleness like come from? Uh I, growing up, like you said, there were points in time when I couldn't control my anger and you know I would resolve conflict in a certain way, but I I, I always draw down you know this this humility that you you talk about on my upbringing, my my family dynamic, um and just understanding that you know where I am is for a greater purpose. Like I'm not where I am to serve myself. You know what I mean? Like I'm where I am because you know my faith allows me to understand that I'm here for like a greater purpose and you know that where I am and where I'm going, there's more to it than just oh I'm I'm here to be self fulfilling. So I always try to remember that, you know, this isn't the end of the journey and that, you know, I'm not here to almost bring praise upon myself but it's here to either serve others or it fulfills a greater purpose so for me always try to remember number one my upbringing and number two why I'm here like it's definitely for a greater purpose as opposed to yeah I've arrived and here I am and you know I'm xyz person it doesn't really work like that for me and I feel like when it does or if it does do that for me then I think that's where the journey that's where the story stops because that's when it's like the greater purpose then ends if that makes sense yeah, wow. So you're very much purpose driven, and um, 
like you talk about your upbringing. Um, so literally from reading the book, I sort of immersed myself into your upbringing. So you grew up, you know, on the estate. Was it Woolwich Estate, to be correct? Yeah, estate in North Woolwich. Yeah, so East London, um, council estate. Yeah, yeah, and you went to school in like Newham, and like that was sort of your your upbringing. And and if anyone knows your story, like you really really loved football. Um, you were used to you know chill around the, the block as we should call it, and um, yeah, it, it just really to me when I was reading it, it was like okay. I understand this. I can, I can, I can relate to this person. And, um, you know, you talk, you talk a lot about sort of, um, this idea that the mentality in where you came from, you know, lacked, um, visibility to the, I'll call it the outside world, the corporate world. And I thought that was so fascinating because, um, basically now, um, do you feel like you're kind of outside looking in? Yeah. I, I, I... I do to a point of, I'm kind of speaking and being in a place of privilege now because when I was at that point on the estate, there was no visibility, right? It was you become a footballer, musician, or you go down the route of crime. And as you mentioned, football was almost my vice. That was the route I was potentially going to take to get my family out of the scenario and the situation that we're in. Um, so when that didn't work, and we'll probably touch on that later, but when that didn't work, I didn't have music, you know, I wasn't particularly talented in music and, you know, I wasn't going to become a criminal. So when you exploit those three options, it's like what's out there next and what then do you pursue? Because you don't have a family member to show you various careers. You don't have a mentor to guide you down a certain path. You have the gangsters on the estate and you have people that, you know, I, I always use the knowledge of like, there's rich gangsters and, and poor graduates, right? It's, it's, it's less of two evils. Do you go for the rich gangsters or do you become a poor mm. graduates? Those are the two things that you you saw on, on the estate. So now being in the position I'm in, yeah, I'm definitely speaking from a place of privilege, but I still try to understand as much as I can the whole dynamic of a lack of visibility because I still feel like it, it's still like present. It hasn't dimmed down. There are a lot more opportunities and there are a lot more... Um, sort of institutions and various different organizations that provide more opportunity which is great to see but i still feel and see that visibility is still limited for certain people mm. and and you said something here but you said that like the ends of the estate is sort of like a poverty um a poverty driven cave where you know people don't know where the key is right mm. it's hard it's hard to get out like what so what exactly did you mean by that a lot of the things that we did when we were younger and also speaking on behalf of my friends as well, a lot of the correlating themes was decisions were made because of poverty. You sit down and you think, okay, why did we do the things that we did? Or why were we so interested in the, th- interested in the things that we were interested in? And it always boils down to wanting to get ourselves or our families out of the environment that we were in. So people wanted to become footballers because they saw that if I become a footballer, this God-given gift of mine will provide me with enough money and resources to get myself out of poverty and my family out of poverty. People wanted to do music for exactly the same thing. People wanted to pursue a life of crime for exactly the same thing. So when you look at the sole factor or the main factor why people on my estate were doing certain things, it always boils down to poverty. Of course, there are certain factors that lead people down a certain path, 
But when you rip back the layers and, you know, this has happened through various different conversations I've had and looking intrinsically within myself, you see that that was the, 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 the main denominator, right? So what I meant by that expression was we're all, or we were all, particularly on my estate, in this environment. We all started on the same sort of starting line and there's different routes that you can take. But all of those routes, is like you're finding a different key to get out of that. And sometimes some routes are easier than others. Like the criminal route is a lot easier than you know, the sort of academic route or going down you know, the, the sporting route or whatever it might be. So when you see that you know, this route is a lot easier to go down, people are making a lot more money down this route. You can see that you can provide for yourself down this route. You can see that your mum is probably not earning the most amount of money and you can look after your family by going down this route a lot more people are going to go down a route that unfortunately will lead them to trouble. And that's something that I saw. You know, my estate, I've lost, or my estate and my surrounding estates, I've lost five friends to knife and gun crime and two handful of my friends have gone to prison at least once. So this trajectory is all too common. Um, but I've also seen a lot of people, you know, go down a sporting route and do relatively well, go down the academic route and do relatively well. But I've seen that a lot more people go down the criminal route because it's just the easier route but boiling down to your question one more time, it all stems from that poverty. So it's almost like we're finding a key to get out of that. And poverty is that 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 central point that we're trying to escape from. Yeah, no, it's mad fascinating how you say like the different keys and different routes. But I always feel like, yeah, I agree with you, by the way, but I always feel like why sort of like education, right? Is that a key then that you said that you took that unlocked doors for you? Was it that education piece? Um, because I feel like it's, it's looked down upon education because I even sort of look down upon education um you're, you're kind of if you have a good upbringing you know very very fortunate that my mum poured and invested a lot into me so she let me know from like primary school right grammar school you need to get into grammar school um I didn't get in but still done the 11 plus test um GCSEs you need to get good GCSEs you need to get great A levels right it wasn't so much about what job you need to get right it's just emphasis on grades education become be the top in your class and I never really understood what that meant was until I got into sixth form where I was like okay there's some applications here minimum three A's okay um I got that or predicted this um you can get a teacher reference um then uh, I don't know Russell Group Universities so like this is sort of the people they look for you're applying for summer programs at Target Oxbridge you know they, they accepted me straight away I was like oh, okay you know so so those grades were my key, my personal key. And I didn't even know what kind of doors I could have been unlocking, but I was just breaking down doors when I started to to list some of the things and it sort of spurs you on. So um, for me, because and I see a lot of my sort of the youngers and sort of young people, but that education piece is not, it's not even a viable key for them. I, I don't understand why. So was that a lack of education to know what education can do for you? Or do yeah. you feel like, you know, the music scene, the football and just um, other things are more lucrative? You, you mentioned something, and I, I think your story is quite fascinating, but I, when you were speaking, I almost saw you speaking from a place, not a place of privilege, because that's not what I'm going to say, and that's not what I mean by that, but speaking from a place whereby your mum was incredible in giving you that guidance, right? Because she knew, somehow she knew, right? She knew about yeah. level she knew about the importance of education. People, not like myself, but people similar to me and particularly around my area, we didn't even have that, bro. We didn't even have people to tell us that. I didn't know what Russell Group was until I got to university, believe it or not. 
right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know about Target Oxbridge. I didn't know the importance of, of A-levels. I didn't know about grammar schools. I didn't know what grammar school was until I got to university, right? So all of these different things, we don't know that when we're growing up. Because even if someone tells us study in school, the person that's tell us, telling us to study in school, they're not people that we're aspiring to be like, right? Mm-hmm. They're not the people, you know, we, if you walk down the street and you, know, you see someone that, they're an XYZ job and you don't aspire to be an XYZ job. You want to be somewhere else. You want to be somewhere where you're making a, a good living for yourself. If someone uh, you know, of that caliber, let's just say, was to sit down and talk to us, then that's the visibility that we're looking for. Because we say, if I, if that person done it, then I can do it because I've seen it. Whereas if someone that is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name drop certain careers, but if is an XYZ career, and they come and speak to us, we're like, but you're not there yourself. So how can you be telling us to do something and you, you haven't even done it yourself, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's ignorance, that's naivety, that's on our part because you know, we shouldn't be you know, ranking people's caliber in order to give us advice. You know, advice can come from anyone. And I guess we needed to be humble to listen to that. But when you're young and you're in that environment, again, bringing it back to the environment whereby you don't have many resources or you don't have much money or whatever it might be, you're just looking for the best way out of it. And if you, like I said, see the rich gangsters and the poor graduates, you're like, why would I want to go down the education route when I see that the people that went down that route are poor? Mm. Why don't I just go down this route where I can see that the people that are going down this route have what I aspire to have? And it's all on what you see, right? Your understanding, especially for us, our understanding was quite limited. So to your point, when I was going down the sort of academic route, which I only started when I was 17, by the way, I started from ground zero because I didn't know about grammar schools. I didn't know the importance of A-levels. I didn't know about, I didn't know how important Russell groups were. I didn't know that these institutions or certain institutions targeted people from certain universities. And if I didn't go to those universities, I was already starting on the back foot. These things were all hidden to me, right? Or it wasn't available to me. So I had to start from a certain level. And, you know, fortunately I was able to to climb up and, and do the things that I did. But to your point, those things, number one, aren't given to you number two you don't have that that visibility to know that okay i need to focus on my education i need to do this or if i do this that's a trigger point to do this we didn't get any of that it was look we've seen a couple ballers on the estate they've made it they're living good we want to become a baller or we've seen the musician we want to be a musician or the gangsters on our estate are living quite good we want to be one of those guys that was the three sort of big roots that we saw and unfortunately, education wasn't really one of them at the time. Yeah, no, that's that's powerful. And thank you for even like letting me know because I think that's so so important about perspective. And you see that you have a different perspective than I have, and it's great because in these conversations we can learn from each other. And I feel like this is another reason why I started a podcast because you know, like there's so many conversations that I have behind closed doors that helps me personally get to some certain places. And then people ask me like, Oh, how'd you get there or mentorship or X, Y, Z. But it's sort of like, if you can just learn from other people and people can, you know, learn today as we delve in. So for you, it wasn't like, <laughs> there was like no visibility, but it, it, it's sort of fascinating because I want to understand sort of like, so when did that major switch come into, into, into you? Because I feel like personally, just from what I've seen, just talking for myself, like, 
everybody in life goes through a switch. I call it a switch. There's, there's, there's a moment in time, whether you have no visibility or not, but it's, it's like, um, something's got to give. I mean, you talk about your sister, right? So maybe you didn't start an academic journey until you're 17, but maybe your sister, sister was started a bit early or, or she was, um, a bit more, um, academic than you, right? I still believe that there's something where we can, you know, have a switch in the sense that I want to go into this direction. Um, uh, and for me, personally I, I remember so um i had done ncs program so you know again fortunate my school had um brought in some speakers and they talked about this national citizen career program when you go out of your area or you go to like you know we went to kent personally and um we that's where we sort of like you have accommodation in the forest and you do activity this you're just in a whole new different environment and it's it's fun it's like year six or whatever when you go to trips and um, pgl or whatever so I went there for the summer and I remember we're having a great time. Then um, there was a call that happened and um, literally everything switched in instance because we got a call and um, one of our friends, you know, back, back at home basically got stabbed and we heard news that, you know, he passed away. It was, it was, I've never experienced anything like that. Just even being in the route and looking at everybody, you know, it was distraught for, but this was in the summer. And I remember just picking up, you know, I've never told anybody this, but it, I remember just coming back, um, you know, it was just crazy. You're going to different people's houses, you know, you're going to all sorts of different things, but it was August and we're collecting our results, right? So this is GCSE, right? I remember collecting my results, you know, thank God that, you know, I, I got, you know, good grades, right? And I remember making a decision, wait, I can go to a sixth form way out of this place. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 and yeah. it literally tailored my decision and I actually went to school in Essex I went to Artminster and I feel like again that was just a start that was sort of my switch like it changed the trajectory because I was then open up to careers and and other things like this and you know Insight Days and Bank of England Deloitte all of these things that I read in your book that you were fortunate enough to sort of you know dibble and dabble in so that was sort of my switch so for you what was what was your switch? My switch came when my my father passed away so uh, it was um, I was playing football at the time, so I was playing at quite a high level, and I signed like a contract when I was sixteen, and I was fortunate enough to be able to study. So I was living in East London, traveling to a place in deep in Surrey every single day, um, to play football and to study. And halfway through the the contract, you know, and and studying, my I I remember it was a Sunday. It was actually Father's Day, two thousand and. I want to get this date right, 2013, Father's Day 2013. And my dad woke up and he came into the living room um, and he he was a diabetic. So we assumed it was his diabetes playing up. He didn't feel too well. He just sort of dropped down on the sofa. You know, he, he looked quite pale, struggling to breathe. And I called my mum, who's in the kitchen, and I said, mum, dad, dad doesn't look too well. And... I, I left because my mum said, you know, I'm going to call the, she's going to call the ambulance and you know, they're just going to come and she thinks it's diabetes. So she'll be fine. Nothing to worry about. Went to the hospital that same day afterwards just to check up on him. And I'd never been to a hospital before. So I didn't know what any of the machines meant. I didn't know what was good, what was bad, what area was good, what area in hospital was, was, was bad. So I walked in and I saw him on the bed. He had tubes around him and machines with numbers ticking along on the screen. And I still thought it was his diabetes and I didn't pay too much attention to it. Went home, went to 
training the next day and I called my mum and I said to my mum, can I have the hospital details because I want to go see dad? And she said, oh, come home first and then we can we can all go together. So I, I went home and I dropped my bag. I went to the living room and I saw my aunties there and I was thinking, what's going on here? Why is there so many people in my house? And my mum was just sitting there and I'm thinking, let's go to the hospital. Why is everyone just, just chilling here? And she, like, there was a quietness for about five seconds and she just said, look, dad's dead. And I was thinking, what? what's happening here? Um, and she received the call at 3 a.m. in the morning saying she needs to rush to the hospital. I was still asleep. So she knew all this time. And um, I went to college still thinking that he was alive and I went to training still thinking he was alive and I got home and, and I was told that he was dead. And I, I, that, that point there was the trigger for me. Um, so he passed away because he's, he was addicted to alcohol and his liver, kidneys and everything just internally just messed up because the consumption of alcohol. And um, at that point, I had a conversation with myself because I said, I need to do something to look after my family now. And I felt like the onus was on me. I don't know why. No one put this pressure on me, but I felt like the onus was on me. And I sat down and asked myself the question, if football doesn't work, Reggie, what are you going to do? And at that point, football wasn't going too well anyway. So I gave it up, 17 years old. And that's when I started to pursue different careers. And similar to what I said at the beginning, I didn't have visibility into careers and opportunities and all of these things. So I'm starting from ground zero. But that was the trigger for me because that's when I started to look outside the box because I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have a an uncle or a cousin or a friend or anyone that was anywhere near somewhere where I aspired to be. So that's when I had to do my own primary research and I had to look for myself. So to your question, when was the trigger for me to really change things up? It was when my dad passed away. Um, that's when I started to look into different careers and you know, use the resources that were close to me, Google and various search engines and different platforms and started to ask myself the question, what can I do to look after my family, amass wealth and just be in a position whereby I'm not having to worry about money anymore, which is something that my, my family and I had to do for such a long time. So that was the trigger for me. Yeah. And you said, I think you mentioned it, how like you put a lot of pressure on yourself in order to do that. So do you feel like you had to step up and be like the man of the household and like you're now the provider? I felt like that. Yeah, I did. But I don't know why I felt like that. And maybe it's that toxic masculinity trait that I think a lot of men have, including myself. But because my mum works extremely hard to look after the family anyway. At that point, my dad wasn't um, working much um, because he was he was made redundant and he, he had quite a bad drinking problem. So he wasn't really working much anyway. So it wasn't like he was the main breadwinner and I had to take over the reins from him. It was just that I, I, I escaped the conversation with myself for a long time. I never sat down with myself and said, Reggie, what do I actually want to do? Or... Reggie, do I want to play football or do I want to look after my family? Like, what, 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 what am I doing? I never had that conversation with myself. So when that event happened and that trigger moment happened, I had a lot of thinking time. I remember I, I, I went out the house as soon as my mum told me the news and I, I ran to 
the, a church in my area and I just sat there for hours and I just had time to think and I just thought about everything and I said, okay, how am I going to do with this? What plans am I going to have? Why do I feel this this pressure on myself to provide for my family? And some of the questions are still unanswered today, but I felt that onus and that pressure to look after my family. And I think once that happened, that was when I started, started to make decisions and started to push things forward. So why I felt like that, I honestly don't know. And I still kind of don't know until today. No one put that pressure on me, but maybe it's that stigma of being a man of the house or maybe being the only male in the house now. I, I felt that pressure and I said, okay, let me go and, and make something happen. But, yeah it's it's a tough question actually um in terms of whether it was just sort of instincts because actually like you said being that only man in the house that male sort of like you've got to bring it who's going to now bring in the bacon you know <laughs> who's going to bring home the money and make sure everyone's good and I feel like I can see okay so that was where you thought now I need to take responsibility and I need to do some searching and I guess that birthed your you know the story that went viral you know you went yeah. to the richest areas in London and you started knocking on doors and um you know powerful i'm sure i'm sure everyone knows the story but i'm not not to assume people do but um so do you want to just briefly quickly touch on that and exactly how that went yeah sure so based on what i said now it was a point where i wanted to do my own primary research and find out how wealthy people amass wealth in my head it was like there's a secret here there must be a correlating factor these people aren't just wealthy because they're wealthy unless they inherited it which is a common case but they must have some sort of skill or quality or something that I can extract and extrapolate so that I can use it for myself so sitting in college computer room and I googled wealthy areas in the UK so I was willing to travel up and down the UK to find this information but I realized that a lot of it was within London so I narrowed the search to wealthy areas in London and I made a list of five areas, wrote it down on a scrap piece of paper and I put it in my pocket. And the areas consisted of Gloucester Road and Bishop's Avenue and a few other places. And I put it, I put the paper in my pocket and I I wasn't going to, it was just an idea at that point. It was just something that was in my head, wrote it down and I left it. And it wasn't until I um, put on the same pair of jeans again, a, a couple of days or a couple of weeks later, and I found the paper in my pocket and it was like, I felt like it was a scrap piece of paper, but it was the list that I, I wrote down. And I just felt this unwavering burden on my heart to go and do this thing of just go and ask people, particularly on like as soon as possible. So I went like the week after and I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. If, if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I'm going to at least try. So I went to Gloucester Road and started asking people on the streets first you know what skills do you have that's allowed you to become rich and of course no one's stopping to talk to me as you can imagine a young black man in a hoodie black jeans and black air forces and you know it's it's weird like and I didn't even understand how weird it was until after everything happened at that point in time I didn't even realize there was a stigma against me or that I fit a certain stereotype I was so oblivious to all of these things asking people on the streets didn't reap the dividends that you know I was I was looking for so I started to go to the different hotels in the area. I had a conversation with this one man who I thought was wasting my time because I thought he owned this building. The naivety in me said, oh, this guy owns the building. Let me go ask him. But he was a concierge. And asking the question, and he's talking to me for about 10 minutes. And he wasn't my target market. So I tried to leave the conversation as quickly as possible, but I couldn't. This guy's just talking and talking and talking. And 
in the end, I left. 10 minutes I thought was wasted. And I'll get back to that point in a minute. But I, I had a conversation with him and he wasn't my target market, so I left. Went across the road, found a guy in an Aston Martin and I asked him the same question, you know, what skills do you have or what skills do people have to live in this area? And he gave me some great advice and he also gave me £40 for asking him the question. And again, that £40, I, I mention it because it plays a big part. So now I'm £40 richer and I'm walking around Chelsea asking random people in the streets how they become rich. You know, not the most normal thing in the world. But again, not getting the right responses that I wanted. So I decided to go and knock on people's doors. The reason why I did that was because either people had to open a door to tell me to go away or they had to open mm. the door to give me the advice. Either way, someone had to talk to me. I'm knocking on all of these doors and people are telling me to go away. Someone's threatening to call the police. No one's really giving me the advice I wanted. But I knocked on a specific door and it was a buzzer. I pressed the buzzer and there was an intercom with a camera so that the people can see my face before they open the door. So the person speaking to me and it was a lady and she says, oh, how can I help you? I said, oh, my name's Reggie. I'm from Newham. And I just want to know what skills you have or you had that allowed you to to live in this area. And she comes to the, no, she, she locks off the intercom. And I'm standing there thinking, is she going to come back or do I leave? So I said, give it 20 seconds. If she doesn't come back, you go to the next door. So she opens the door now and she asks, is this part of a school project? And I said, no, I'm by myself. So she invites me into her house. And that was really surprising for me because a person that she doesn't know invites you, like she just invited a stranger into her house um, to have a conversation. And that for me was weird, but I, I felt it as a sign that things are, like something's going to come of this. I didn't know what, but the fact that that had happened, I felt like something was going to come of it. So I'm in a house and her husband walks in and her husband was almost like, Equivalent to like a CIO, like chief investment officer of the largest asset management company in the world. He, his official title was global head of alpha strategies. So he worked really closely with the, the global CEO and he was on the exec team and it was for BlackRock, right? So the asset manager BlackRock. At the time, they had $4.7 trillion in assets under management. Today, they have $10 trillion in, in assets under management. So it was, you know, it's the largest asset management company in the world. And he's he's talking to me and we're having a conversation but the reason why i mentioned that 10 minute wasting of time with the other guy was they had just so the price family the people that were talking to me they had just got into the house five minutes before i knocked on that door so if i had knocked on that door five minutes early i would have completely missed them so that conversation i was having with that guy for 10 minutes who i thought oh what a waste of time if i just left that conversation straight away and i continued with the same chain of events then i probably would have got to that door five minutes early or 10 minutes early and I would have missed them completely. So that in itself, I felt like was a blessing in disguise. Had a conversation with them for about an hour and then Quinton um, emailed me like a week after saying, I'll come into BlackRock for an insight day. I didn't own any smartware. I didn't own a shirt, trousers, shoes or anything. I had a couple track suits and a whole heap of trainers, right? But I used the £40 that the guy gave me to go and buy the smartware, right? So to me, that whole chain of events was almost like divinely orchestrated for everything to happen exactly how it happened. I didn't have smartware, but I had £40 from a random stranger to go and buy a couple shirts and a tie. You know, I met this guy who I thought was wasting my time, but in the end, it was almost like allowed me to get to that door exactly when I was supposed to get to that door. So when I went to the Insight Day 
that insight they led to a, a work experience and that work experience led for me to go to university and that's when the journey really started for me so wow that because uh, it's funny because i have read this but now i'm hearing it. it it it's still so powerful every single time it sounds to me there was like divine intervention in your life like mm. things just lined up accordingly obviously it took your work like yeah. if you didn't get if you didn't move from your sofa and get into london none of this will happen so it's just like you sort of had that trust or that faith you got into the right place you played your part you've got some divine intervention working with that that made sure things were sort of lining up for you yeah. and um you talked about sort of how you started your career i think yeah. someone recommended a book called the first 90 days yeah where it talks about how to really break into your career and now what seven eight years into your career like there's so many people like me that i'm starting my graduate job actually um probably when this comes out i will be already working so for you like you've had so much experience now so if you were to sort of just rewrite that or like a little sort of snippet or highlight what would you recommend for you know young fresh graduates or even interns about to start their career what do they need to be doing yeah i'll I'll take a step back before answering that question i think for graduates that firstly are looking for for internships so when i got to university i again fortunate enough quinton became my mentor and i had another mentor called abraxas and they gave me great guidance and went to university and he was like you know internships are like gold you have to get as many internships as you can because it, it helps so as soon as i got to university i was like Remember when I was talking about the level playing field or starting line, right? And I felt like with education, I was so far behind because I didn't have that guidance and that visibility. Yeah. Since I stepped into university, I felt that I was as you know, I was on the same level as someone like you, right? You had you know your mom and other people to tell you about UCAS points and university and all of these things. I now felt like I was on that same play because I had someone behind me saying internships, spring weeks, summer you know, when you apply for this, these are the courses you have to do. And I was so equipped so that when I went to university, even though my first exam I failed, I scored like a 25%, which is a U, right? I didn't even pass that exam. And I was so close to leaving university, but I had that guidance and that mentorship behind me. Next exam, I scored 84%. Exam after that, I scored 86%, getting first classes and two ones and really found myself academically. And I managed to go through the whole three years completing five internships. Um, like two spring weeks, I got a su- did a summer. I had another summer off. At another asset manager I did an internship at a hedge fund and various different ambassador roles and internships. And I was so on it at that point in time, right? And I think the the best advice I can give to students that are looking for those type of internships is just start early and and like if you're not in university yet, as soon as you get into university, the advice that someone gave me, which I will just reiterate, is try and do as many internships as you can and just start the ball rolling as quickly as possible. Seek guidance, seek help on how to write quote unquote perfect application and just ensure that you're you're hitting the ball running as soon as possible. And if you're applying for internships in the conventional way and it's not working for you, try and find the back door. You know, some of the internships that I got, I had to like write letters to companies and, and hope that they will reply back or I would cold call some in, some smaller asset managers and you know pitch myself to someone and you know create a meeting that way and turn up and I had to find innovative ways in order to get this experience because I knew that internships were like gold. So for anyone that is not on an internship here or is you know due to be you know looking for them, 
start them early. But if you're not getting success in the conventional way, then try and look for a back door, however that looks like for you. To your question, for anyone that's starting an internship or anyone that's going into these roles, the book was really helpful because one of the biggest takeaways I took was just the concept of feedback. And if you're on a summer internship or you're starting a graduate program, I think more so on a summer because it's a short amount of time, it's like 10 weeks, try and get feedback as much as possible and really apply that because that 10 week can set you up for the next year. You probably know more than anyone, right? You do your spring, you do well in your spring, you get a summer. You do your summer, you do well in the summer, you get a grad offer. That's how it conventionally works anyway. And feedback is so crucial because you want to know what your team, your colleagues, the people around you are not thinking of you, but you want to know what they think you're doing well at and what they think you need to improve on. Because you might think you're doing well. You might think, oh yeah, I'm I'm so great at you know Excel, let's just say, for example. But they could see that as your weakest point, right? So you need to be able to gauge what the others around you are thinking so that you can start to improve and enhance your chances of converting that summer or that internship into a full-time offer. And even on the on the graduate front, it's, you know, it's a two-year program for the majority of, of places. So you've got a lot more time. But my biggest advice for that will be network as much as possible. Gauge the feedback as much as possible. Um, apply the feedback, of course. Don't just get the feedback and leave it, but apply the feedback. And understand that it's a journey. Don't try and race against anywhere else. Don't try and you know, compete against your your um, your graduate class, your internship class, because it's it's weird. It's not like, don't try and see it as a competition. I need to outdo this person. I need to outdo that person. Focus on what you need to do. Focus on the people around you. Focus on the team that you're in and just try to ensure that you're doing the best thing that you can do for your team and ensure that you're just trying to enhance your network as much as possible. Your network is so cliche and sometimes the saying is so annoying, but it's so true. Your network is your net worth, right? Sorry to sound like one of those guys, but it's so it's so true because no, it is. your your network is the thing that's going to open so many other doors for you, right? Be it internally or externally. So you want to ensure that you have a range of people within your network, particularly at the organization that you're in, not just in your team, but around the other teams. If your if your company's a global company, then even in global different offices, like not being afraid to ask people for a coffee, to ask people for ten minutes of their time, to learn about people's journeys, about people's stories. That's one thing I can't speak highly enough of, just understanding the power of networking, understanding that your work and your team, like try and do well for your team and in your team and don't try to compete with, with, with others. And the, the last thing I'll say is play the game, but don't lose yourself. And I say that because, and again, I guess I'm guessing that we're talking about finance and the corporate world because that's what we're, we're in. Um, and I can only talk in that industry because that's what I do. But in the industry, you can, there's a lot of tick boxes that some people might consider, or if that person has this or has done this or whatever, then they're of a certain caliber. And sometimes us not being from a conventional or the conventional background to a lot of the people that we're going to be working with, it can be difficult to fit into that realm or, in, or, or we might not have that cultural or social capital that they might have that's allowed them to become successful. They might be into certain things that don't resonate with us. And we might think, okay that means I can't engage in those conversations or I, I'm not like these people or whatever it might be and because of that we sometimes lose ourselves because we want to be like them so then we behave like them talk like them act like them we yeah lie about our interests because we want to be like them whatever it might be and one thing I've learned is you don't 
right? You don't have to be like that. You're there because you are who you are, right? And of course, I'm not going to say bring your whole self to work because I know people love to say that, but no one brings their whole self to work, right? But bring as much as you can of yourself to work and understand that your difference is what's going to, A, separate you from from everyone else in, in a good way. And B, people are going to look up to you and say, wow, Victor's in this industry and he, he's still Victor, right? Victor's in this industry and he's still himself. And they're going to say, you know, if Victor can do it, then I can do it. And that's something I've had to learn as well, because certain people, particularly those that are in like sixth form, they look at the industry and they see what the industry is like. You know, there's a big ethnic disparity within the corporate sector. And they think, okay, if I go into this industry, do I have to behave like them or be like them, whatever it might be? No, be yourself, right? If you want to, like, I remember someone said, oh, I've got long hair. Do I cut my hair to get into the industry? No, like, be yourself. The old Reggie probably would have wavered and armed about it, but no, like, go in there and be yourself. And that's something I'm trying to echo as much as possible. Go in there, be yourself, because at the end of the day, yourself is what's going to allow you to to make that difference. And trust me, by you being yourself, you're going to inspire so many other more people. So Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's so good. And you touched on so many points. I just want to resonate with um, networking, even like for, so for my story, my journey actually wasn't so conventional. So I never done any spring weeks. Um, Fortunately, like I told you, so when I was in sixth form, it was that sixth form switch. Um, I was hungry for information. I, I cannot put it no other way as in, and anyone listening, when you want to better your life, you, for me personally, you need to be hungry for information. You need to, you know, knowledge is power. There's so many things. If in my journey, your journey, that it's, it's just knowledge. It's just, you didn't know. For example, you said you were not going to do You didn't know the attire. Huh? You bought the knack pouches to the internship. Clearly. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. The internship assessment days, man. It was bad. Like, I came with my tie that was like so short, the Nike side pouch. My first assessment center, I came in a, you know, like a black funeral shirt. Imagine you're going to a funeral and you're wearing a black shirt. I wore a black shirt with cream chinos and brown desert boots. It was like I was going to a motive. Like, it was just, I just got all wrong, all wrong. So, yeah. But, yeah, but the fact the fact is you were very in that room. So, for me, so when I was craving for information, I actually applied for my first. Um, was the first because and again again it's just fortunate like when you better yourself so I was in a different a new sixth form and we had a careers I don't even think every sixth form have this but we had a careers um officer teacher so they'll send you emails so when I latched onto one of them and I applied for it it was like a, a two-week work experience for an accounting company in, in London and I was in Baker Street first, like this is one of the first time I, I've been to London to like in a suit basically I swear to you the only thing that went through my mind is like I can get used to this. Like I was hungry for information. Started applying. Like after that, started applying for anything under the sun. Bank of England Insight, they Deloitte, PwC, like so many different things. And then I um, applied for scholarship with a company, I'm a Swiss company, investment bank, and I got onto it. So before going into university, they sort of offered me my first internship, and I've been with them ever since, and going to join them, you know, full time. So that was just sort of that hunger. Um, um, for information and it came through networking like you said and I don't think I think it's cliche but it's not cliche when some people are saying things multiple times why don't be ignorant <laughs> why not listen you know your network is your net worth you know I'm saying it you're saying it surely there's a clue there's a clue here and um, one thing I really love about you is that you encourage people to bring themselves to work and I feel like it's so it's easier said than done in a sense like because 
it's sort of like the, maybe the fact that you got here wasn't because you were yourself in the interview. Was I wholly myself? You know, I, I knew that, you know, I'm trying to impress and I'm trying to get into this place. So I, I need to figure out the language they speak. That's what I call it. When I come into a room, an event, anything, I figure out what, what language do they speak? What, what are they looking the for? Like, yeah, you're playing the game and that's, that's what it is, right? You're, you're playing the game without losing yourself. And that's something that I wholeheartedly believe. If you can do that, man, you're in a good driving seat, man. You're in a good driving seat. And it sounds like everything you just said, it sounds like you're you're playing their game, right? You're you're in there, you're immersed in their game, you're understanding their language, but you're still keeping yourself. And I feel like that's crucial. I just wanted to, to add that in there. No, no. And but so for you, but for you, I feel like how 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 do you play? You've played it so well to the point that you know you st- you've worked at a few different companies, and yeah. you recently moved and started a new job this year. And and yeah. you know, won't mention the company, but <laughs> massive um you know achievement if that makes sense. I, personally, I didn't even know what the company was until I done some Google searches and someone told me <laughs> this company. I, I was like. Wait, <laughs> I just had to look up the associate salary to know yeah. what wages are. <laughs> I good. was like, okay. So, um, how did you? My my question to you, sort of like, what, like, did you play the game to get there, or did it come from sort of the obviously you've had now media sort of yeah. loads yeah. of engagements? What was it? I think, yeah, you you are right, and I'll be I'll be lying if I said that my my journey and you know, my story coming out there wasn't like a, a benefiting factor so my my journey was publicized by bbc in 2018 and it's been four years now and i think i've been on majority if not all of the major platforms in the uk and some abroad right and consistently been been on them for whatever reason either because of the story of i've partnered with them to do certain campaigns or i've worked with them to to work on certain announcements whatever it might be so Again, I'd be lying if I said, oh, that had nothing to play with it, right? There was a point where I think I did the BBC thing and um, I think it was like 18 different job offers came in, just flowing in from large investment banks and consultancy firms and so many different like opportunities were coming my way because they had seen it and they had probably looked at my profile and they said, oh, you know, you look like a good, do you want to come over? And I'm like, I'm, I'm comfortable where I am. At the time, you know, everything was, was going okay, so I, I didn't leave, but... No, again, to your point, I'll be lying if I said that I didn't play a part. However, in terms of um, my my journey in the external things, yes, they played a part, but I feel like I've also been able to show that I am good at what I do, right? So at my first grad place, um, I graduated, did a graduate program at, at Legal in General, Investment Management, and you know, did two and a bit years there and got promotion and I, I did I did really well, right? My end of year grades for my um graduate program were always in the top percentile. So in terms of the actual work I do, I try to make sure that the actual work I do is of good quality and is of a certain caliber. Um and I've also been able to balance that with the external things as well. So I I feel like I wouldn't be able to do the external things if I didn't do my day job properly. Because then it will counteract everything because if something goes wrong at work, I felt like they would always blame that on the external things. You're missing deadlines because you're always doing X, Y, Z. So for me, I put extra pressure on myself to deliver at work. If that meant that I was working later than everyone else, then so be it. If I, if I had to, like, for example, if I had like an interview or something the next day, or I was doing a project with another institution the next day, I would ensure that everything was done the day before I did like, 
the next day's work or at least half of the next day's work on that day so that I could just focus my time on doing the external stuff. And my workplace were more than comfortable with that. I was open with them with that as well. And because the work wasn't conflicting with the external stuff, it was it was a it was a privilege and, and it worked really well. How the new opportunity came about, I was I was headhunting. So a, a recruiter got in touch and said, this company's looking for um, an associate to help grow out their private wealth business. And I saw the name of the company and I thought, oh, all right, okay, I, I know this company. But, um, you know, I, I, I genuinely, hand on heart, imposter syndrome suffocated me that moment. I thought, nah, they're not going to hire me, right? But I said, you know, put my CV forward anyway. So put my CV forward and I got the interview. And at that point, that's when I started taking it seriously. My whole room was filled with post-it notes about this company. I, I researched absolutely everything, right? Um, and I took the interview so seriously. In the end, I had eight interviews, eight interviews and one meeting. So altogether, I had like nine different conversations and engagements for this one role. Um, and then I got the offer, right? So it's a largest private equity firm in the world. I'm working in their private wealth business, covering all liquid assets, so real estate, private equity, um, private credit, hedge fund solutions, tactical opportunities, life sciences. I have exposure to all of that, which is which is grateful for my learning, and um, it's a great place to for me to continue my career. So we'll see where that takes me. But um, to your point, yeah, the external stuff has played a part, but I think I've married it pretty well with the quality of the work that I produce as well. Yeah, no, perfect. I think, see, this is what the Valuable Podcast is about. I feel like it's extracting that value. And I feel like what you've touched on is the way um um you got that internships is gold. I feel that the next gold we need to now hear is that balance. How do we balance one with the other? Because I've got friends, me, myself, like what you're seeing, it's not just, it's a trend, it's a growing trend. We've seen graduates or students, right? They, you know, they've got YouTube channels. They're, they've just blown up on TikTok. They're doing X, Y, Z, so many different things, but there's this imposter syndrome of fear. Okay. But now when I enter work, they're going to shut it down. Now, when I enter work, they're going to blame, oh, what, you're not this because you're too busy recording a video. Like, does that make sense? So it's like, we're trying to understand how do we marry these two? And especially in top, you know, industries, top firms like this, is it's even moving past now imposter syndrome. It's more so like, yes, I know I can do the work, but can someone, is someone going to doubt me because I can do their work and my work too? Why am I not allowed to do my work? Okay, my best advice for this will be find someone in said company that you trust, be it someone in the HR team or someone in like a line manager. If you're really close to your line manager or someone in the HR team, have an honest conversation to them and say, look, I'm looking to to do this thing and, you know, a podcast, let's just say, or I'm I'm quite big on, on TikTok, you know, and, you know, and... I've been doing it for six, seven months and this is the trajectory that it's going in. Is this going, like, are you guys okay with that? Because some firms, believe it or not, are they want to know just in case something comes back to them. You might say something on a TikTok or if you're like a, a careers TikToker and you talk about careers and you talk about certain industries, whatever, you might say something that your company is not privy to or you might say something that your company is not comfortable with you saying this as an example right and you just want to know that they just want to know that you 
you're saying and doing things that are in line with their, their policies, right? So I understand that. So speaking for myself, when I was at Elgin and I started to do all the media stuff and podcasts and I did a podcast on BBC and all the rest of it, I just told my workplace that, FYI, this is what's happening. You guys are okay with that? And fortunately for me, they were okay with that. They got me media training. They set up, like I had access to my PR team. And if I had an interview with a big platform and I wasn't sure on a reporter, PR team, a lot of them are ex-journalists and a lot of them have, have contacts with news platforms and stuff. So they'll research on the person that's interviewing me to see if they've ever lowballed someone or if they've ever asked a particular question in a certain way, what their agenda is. So I had the full back and the support of my company when I was doing all the external stuff. When I got the opportunity at this new place, I, throughout all of the processes, was open to them because I didn't want to go into that place and then be like, FYI, guys, this is what I know. Like, I want you to hire me for all of me, right? Every single part of me. I have a, I had a podcast on BBC. I do these things in the media. I am writing a book. You know, I have got a business outside of work. I do spend time doing this. I have other interests in all of these things. I'm letting you guys know. So if you're not on board, then just don't give me the job because I'd rather do all the things I'm doing now and be happy than I come in and you guys are on my back about all these other stuff. So being up front, I think, is the first thing. And I think nine times out of 10, your company should be okay with it right? Nine times out of 10 anyway. I think the second thing is what I said is just ensure that you are over delivering because more eyes will be on you when you're doing external stuff. We are in a side hustle age, right? Millennials, Gen Z, all of us, we're not the same as the generation that were, you know, ahead of us, right? They had one job, they had a nice pension, they would work, they would retire, they'll live off their pension and they'll go have a nice life. Us, the retirement age for us will not be 60 years old. We are not a uh, uh, one salary or we are not a one income stream generation. With the access to the internet, with so many different resources, with so many different platforms that we can engage in, I, I, I would even say 70% of all the graduates that are going in will have another source of income, be it small or big, right? So number one, it's okay to have a side hustle. It's okay to have something external, but just make sure that those things are not impacting your work because I'm, I'm telling you now for free, that will be the thing that your company or people around you will say is distracting you if you are missing deadlines or if you're not doing the work up to a certain scratch. So I would encourage people to have a side hustle. I would encourage people to get involved in things outside of work. I'm involved in, I think I have five different things on the go, right? And um, that's come with practice, don't get me wrong. I've had to learn to balance and it does mean that you're working longer on other stuff and you're finding time throughout the day and on the weekends to do the things that you, you're passionate about. But the dividends are worth it because once you start to see things flourish and you start to see things working, you, you won't regret putting the extra hours in. So to your point, I encourage people to do it. You know? Everyone will have a side hustle, will have something external, but just A, ensure that your employer is aware or someone in your business is aware and B, don't let the external or the side hustle things affect your your work yeah no i think that's so refreshing to hear like somebody that's doing it can just you know relay that information and i, I thought another thing they said that was so pivotal and and it, to me it's even quite shocking that like in that interview you brought it's even me or, or nothing if that makes sense and that goes back to you know what this podcast is about like you saw value in yourself you understand what you can bring 
right? Because I think a man who didn't understand the value that they possess, the value that they can bring, wouldn't go with that decision. Wouldn't be like, you know what? I, I know what I've got going on for myself. I know the value I can add to this firm. I know everything. So you're in that, I guess, confident sort of position, can I say? Yeah. I think, I think it boils down to what I said in the beginning. We touched on was purpose, right? And for me, working in... I've always said, and I mentioned it in my book quite a bit, like working in the industry that I'm working in, at first it was quite selfishly to make money, look after my family and do all the things that I wanted to do. But over the years, you know, I've been working for like five years now and the, the amount of traffic of emails and messages and you know, it's so humbling to read. And I, I try to read all of the messages that I receive. Of course, I missed quite a few, but as much as I can, I try to read them and a lot of the people, things that people say is just so refreshing and inspiring and it motivates me to just understand that this journey is no longer just for me, right? It's not just me going into work and whatever, but I want someone else that's in sixth form to say, oh, if Reggie can do it, then I can do it. Or the fact that Reggie did it or the fact that Victor did it, you know, that means that I can do it. And understanding that purpose and understanding that, you know, I serve a greater purpose and just go into a corporate building and, and working that's allowed me to understand my value and hold true to my value. So when I was interviewing for this this new firm and I was talking to them about the external stuff, if they turned around and said, you know, you have to stop doing everything you're doing and focus on this place, I wouldn't have done it, right? Even though you know, the salary was going to be more than double, right? Even though the bonuses were going to be crazy, even though the perks were going to be insane, even though the brand of that company was going to open more doors for me in the next couple of years' time, whatever it might be, if they weren't on board with what I was doing, then that is not aligned with my purpose. That is not aligned with who I am, and I would not have taken it. Or I would like to think I would not have taken it, right? Because I I, I know what I'm on this journey for. So to your point, right? it goes down to, to purpose and it goes down to why you're doing this. If I, if I was just like, you know what, I'm happy to, to work and, you know, I don't, I'm not really on the side hustle thing and having things external, which is fine, by the way, no one, I'm not advocating that everyone should have something. If you're comfortable with doing what you're doing, then by all means you do it. But, you know, I've got other stuff on the go and I wanted to really focus on that and hone in on that. And if they weren't on board, then that wasn't a company for me, irrespective of the brand, the money and all of these things. There was going to be another company or another opportunity to come and I'm so confident that that next opportunity would have aligned with my purpose in a greater way than this company if they didn't allow me to do the things that I'm doing. Yeah, and and purpose, sort of like the thing that you've been created or destined to do. And I know it's because you've touched on purpose, but it's already exactly, what exactly is your purpose? My My purpose is, I use the analogy of, sending the elevator down to bring people back up um it's about allowing people to have the visibility the guidance and the hope that i received once upon a time um i i did a ted talk once and i talked about the power of mentoring right and mentoring was one thing that really just transformed my whole life my whole career forever and if i could take elements of that mentorship that i received from one person and expand that to hundreds and hopefully thousands and hopefully tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, then that will be me fulfilling my purpose, right? My purpose is about allowing more people to have more opportunity, opening doors, excuse the pun, for, for more people, um, and just allowing more people to start on a greater 
playing field or start further along the line than they would have started if they hadn't come across me or the things that I'm, I'm, I'm doing. So at the moment, I feel like my purpose is just providing and creating more opportunity and opening more doors for people. Hence why I named the book Opening Doors, because it's more than just a title. It's more than just what happened to me. The the book and the events um, that happened within my life were a result of what was to come, right? So the door opened for me and now my purpose is to open more doors for other people. So powerful 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 you heard it from reggie and you know and i'm just fortunate and privileged enough to just host conversations like this and 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 allow people to listen in get moved because that's how it started for me just listening to sort of information and and the fact that you're so open it it still strikes me that i I still need to dig deeper because the fact that you mentioned oh yeah so you can over deliver at work and you're working on five different things just launched a book got it published doing a bit of mentoring here and there what is what's your day like (laughs) (laughs) it still remains so calm composed Uh, because i I know people i see people who are doing a crazy amount of things and and it's great but there's um what's the word that they're over capacity i've I, i look at them and there's a they're not still yeah, that makes sense? Yeah, yeah you're still i don't know where it is tell me where it is where is it i take it i take it day by day and people some people have a long-term plan like or my 10-year 20-year plan i've struggled i've always struggled with that i've never actually honed in on my 10-year plan or if you ask me what do i want to do in 20 years time i, I couldn't answer with a, a true answer anyway um i like to take things year by year or week by week and see where it goes because things change so much for me like one email can change my my whole outlook on the year for, for long like forever right I take it year by year and I take it week by week but I also have people around me to help me and I think that is so crucial like I've got I've got an agent and she's incredible with everything that's happened and everything that's going on and she is just so 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 like she, she's the one that's got me a lot of the different like the the, the book deal and you know, all of these things that have happened she's been instrumental to that um i've got like a little team because of the agents and stuff and those people have just been instrumental for me so you see me doing these things but there's a lot of people behind the scenes and other people that have helped me along this journey right so you know whilst i'm at work doing my actual work these people are the ones that are you know reading emails and having conversations and having zoom meetings on my behalf and sending me updates and you know i'm saying okay yeah let's do it or that doesn't really sound like something that i would do so number one people around me have been really really helpful number two I, I like to say things year by year or month by month or week by week and just try to take things as in my path as, as as slowly and as and as accurately as possible um and number three i always boil things down to my faith and the reason why i say faith is because this my my faith is the one thing that I think number one keeps me keeps me grounded and number two it's the thing that gives me assurance that I can take on this capacity because I'm a big believer that I wouldn't be given anything that I can't handle. So knowing that these things have been given to me, it means that I can handle them. And it's just about me finding a way to handle them. And I have to remember that these are things that once upon a time I prayed for, right? I I prayed for opportunities like these. I prayed for an opportunity to take my family out of the environment where we're in. I prayed for, you know, um, so many different things. Like that when I was writing the book, I was just like, God, if this is something that, you know, you want me to do, then by all means, let's do it. But it was just on my heart to document things from my own perspective, not what BBC had done or Sky News had done or ITV had done or Steve Harvey had done. I wanted to do it from my own perspective. 
um, and tell the story from very beginning to very end. And God, if this is what you want me to do, then by all means, let's do it. And even the way that happened, that's another podcast for another day. But how that happened was just so divinely orchestrated. So three things that helped me to your question is people around me have been super supportive and I'm super grateful to them. I I try to take things in my stride, short-term thinking for the most part in terms of like, what am I doing this week? Focus and nail this week. And then the next week, what am I doing? Nail that week and then take it week by week. And then the last thing is just um, having that unwavering assurance in my faith that if something is given to me, then I know that I can, it's, it's given to me for a reason. I can handle it. And I shouldn't shy away from the fact that that thing is given to me because once upon a time, those are the things that I prayed for. So. Yeah, powerful. Amen. And and the fact that God's granting your prayers, um, you know, you're Christian, I'm a Christian as well. So it's so it's so encouraging as well, you know, when you see other believers, other people in the faith and they're not shying away to share it. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, I you know, I believe that you know, God created all of us. We go back to this thing about purpose, right? I didn't create myself. So mm. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you 10 years, 25 years. I didn't, if I created myself and I created my plan, you know, yeah, I'd be yeah. living lavish. But <laughs> unfortunately, that's not the case. So it's sort of like, it's, you sort of have to rely on somebody, right? Yeah, and and have that sort of anchor. And I can see it for you, you know, that, that that's your faith. And, and you've had the privilege to go back to, um, well, not go back, but go to your church and share your journey. And I think you yeah. do mentoring with, um, called VYG Victory Youth Group. Yeah. Cause I actually have a friend that's part of, um, you know, the church. So I think even yesterday or the other day, there was at a football match yeah. playing with that, that, the police or something. That charity football match against the police. Yeah. Oh, were you there? No, no, no. I went to a prison yesterday. So I was doing some mentoring stuff in the prison. Wow. You even work in prisons? What's that like then? No, so I was, I went to um, Cook and Wood Prison. Um, it's a youth offending prison. And it's part of a group that I'm, I'm with. It's like a group of guys um, led by a guy in Parliament called um, Lord Michael Hastings. You might have come, come across him before. If not, then he's a great guy, great man, was former global head of citizenship at KPMG, was global head of public affairs at BBC at one point. Um, now he's a lord in the House of Lords and he created this group and this group does stuff in in prisons and it does stuff for the community and stuff. And we went into a Cookingwood prison yesterday to mentor 15 guys who are in prison for whatever reason and just to show them love, show them hope and to help them see that you know, this isn't the be all and end all and this isn't where your journey ends. This is part of your story and a part of your journey because some of the guys in that group have been to prison, right? Some of them have had their troubles with the law and they're doing some amazing and humbling things today. So we go in there to give them hope, talk to them, give them guidance. I did a book signing in there yesterday, which again was incredibly humble. So we gave them three copies of the Opening Doors book. Um, And that's the second time we've gone. So the first time we went was um, a couple of months ago. We We actually played football against them. So we played a football match against them um we won nine six and um it was incredible it was a incredible time to just chop it up we had breakfast with them had round table conversations played football came back inside spoke again to them and that's where we built their trust and then we then came back yesterday and we're gonna go back in july and yeah so i didn't go to the football match um the the byg versus police because i was i was in a prison so um yeah yeah be humble. Yeah, but still, like you're still again, you're just on the field, like you're 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 
on the ground, right? If that makes sense. A lot of people in your position now who sort of, I'm sure you know, you've made it out, made it out the hood, right? Mm-hmm. There's no reason to really go back. Let's be honest, like, yeah. but you're, you're not, you're not, it's one of the top, I don't know, 1% whatever earnings, mm-hmm. um, just salary wise, but you can still go to kick it with some prisoners playing football or at least, you know, give them that light, that encouragement and that hope. And I genuinely do believe like after they really finish reading your book, it's just mm-hmm. not even finished, like in between for me personally, just certain chapters you just get that light get that hit and just be like whoa mm. okay i don't why how does he think like this maybe i need to better myself and i think um so so powerful and, and you know god bless your agent then whoever put this <laughs> <laughs> put this deal together yeah. um and, and you even launched work experience with yes. the book yeah how, how did that tell me about that yeah so when we were publishing the book again the whole concept of opening doors and what I feel my purpose is, is to create more opportunities and open doors for others. So one of the things that I wanted to do was create this work experience program for people that wouldn't have visibility into a certain industry. And in this case, it's publishing. So I talked about how when I was younger, all I saw was music, football or crime. I didn't see a way out of that. And once I did, it was all guns go. I was ready for it and I, and I went for it. And fortunately, I got it. And I wanted to create what the same visibility that someone gave me, I wanted to create it, but in a different industry, publishing. So we created this work experience program where um, we partnered up with my publishers, Bonnier, my agents, Creative Access, and another charity that provides accommodation because we wanted to make it UK wide. So applications were open for, for anyone over the age of, of 18 that could spend a summer um, working so two weeks will be at the agency. So my agent's firm that does TV, literary and film agency. Um, and then two weeks at a publishing house, which is Bonnier. So they'll learn all things to do with publishing. And um, UK wide. So if someone lives in Durham, for example, and wanted to gain access into publishing, they'll come to London. Accommodation will be free. Travel will be free. We've, we've covered all of that for them and they still get paid. Right. So we created that work experience um, and we wanted to open more opportunities for more people. So that's going to be happening next month um, for one lucky winner. So um, one person, you know, people have to apply where they're having interviews at the moment. Um, and then one person will be given an opportunity to conduct that work experience. And the plan is to expand that even further. So this time around, we did it in publishing. Next time around, we want to uh, do it in I don't know, engineering or something or do it in finance or we want to do it in marketing we want to do it in um physics whatever it might be we just want to open opportunities to more people in different industries so hopefully this will expand to become a thing it'll be like a yearly work experience summer for people that otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity and we'll see where that goes so yeah the opening doors work experience was was great um it's still underway so like we've finished the application but interviews are going on and um, yeah, one one lucky person is going to have uh, a month long paid work experience, and hopefully, again, that would open more doors for for more. Mm-hmm. So. Wow, and you're just living out your purpose. That purpose you described to me, sending down that elevator and bringing people up. You're literally creating the work experience, the programs, and I know that couple of years, you know, this would be something to really, really talk about um, and, and track. I mean, I mean, lastly, I just want like the fact that you just mentioned you had that team behind you, that's you know helping you. How how does someone you know maybe get a PR agent or yeah. a, 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 get a team together? You know, it sounds so. I feel this is what you know. I did say it, but like 
black community, a lot of people are missing. Like, how do we how do yeah. we get access to these things? I can only talk about how I got access to it because I, I don't know how anyone else does it. Um, actually, no, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that in two parts. First part is one way you could do it is like your friends around you that support and buy into your vision. If you feel like there's someone that can really help you, then reach out to them and ask them for that help. Like I read Stormzy's book, Rise Up, and I'm not sure if you, you've read it, but that book is incredible because it talks about Stormzy's journey, but there's one part in that book that really sticks out to me, which is um, Stormzy's friend, Toby, who's his manager. And um, Toby's, according to the book, Toby's really smart, like a really, really smart guy. And um, he uh, was on a graduate program at Jaguar Land Rover. Um, and this is before Stormzy's prominence and rise up to what he is today. But as things were moving forward, Stormzy was looking for like a manager. And he, he went to him and said, oh, you know, I'm looking for a manager. And I think Toby was like, oh, yeah, I can go find one. That's fine. And Storm's like, no, I want you to be my manager. And he believed in his vision and said, you know what, let's do it. Quit his graduate job at Jaguar Land Rover, went to support Stormzy before Stormzy was what he is today. And you can see the rise in, in, in what Stormzy is today. So I think the first thing that you could potentially do is, find someone to maybe just help you on the side like look I've got this idea could you help me out and see where that goes right it might not work I'm not going to say every like that that scenario works all the time it might not but that could be one way to, to start a second the way that I did it was I reached out to people cold emailing cold calling agencies and just saying look I have this idea I think it will work um I just need you to buy into me let's have a coffee and you know of course agents just rejected my call at first um but there were there was one agent that you know said let's come in for like come into the office let's have a talk and I met them sat down with them two hour conversation and then we we signed and um, that's how I got my agent um, was by cold emailing them went to the office had a meeting had to sell myself and we signed and it's been two and a bit years and it's worked very very well so um, <clears throat> that's how I did it it's just about reaching out and having the courage to reach out and. Fortunately, it works for me. Um, I have heard some stories where you know people have management or agents and it doesn't. But again, you won't know unless you try. So I encourage people just to, if you've got an idea, if you've got something that's heavy on you and you need that support from people, be it a PR person or an agent, Google it, research people, find out where they are and, and try and struck that that meeting and, and see where it goes from there. So thank you for like just that information in terms of you know the PR agency I think even I haven't actually read um, Stormzy's book so maybe that's the next one I need to pick up um, but I think that's, that's so so true because I feel like sometimes we just need that push and um, just just to like I've learned so much from you I'm sure people listening learn so much from you just to sort of wrap it up I know like people have their free word or just free things like so I know you actually um you know Amani Simpson and yeah. Again, I, I was fortunate enough to actually come across him, and I, I'll never forget what he told me one time. He said, "You know, you should learn, earn, return." I was <laughs> like, "Okay, learn, earn, return," and I feel like that's exactly what you're doing. I think in your book you mentioned the guy that gave you the forty pound, or maybe it was a different person, but he said again, "Get education, get work experience abroad, and work hard." Yeah. yeah. So if you were just to leave it off, like, what's the three things that you would now encourage people? Number one embrace rejection rejection it comes to everyone never take rejection personal personally never take rejection as the end it's all part of your journey so number one embrace rejection number two 
mentorship. If you can find anyone that can guide you, provide you with that visibility, then do it. And that's not a thing of emailing 10 people and saying, be my mentor, but just be more alert and engaging to certain conversations and in certain rooms where if you see someone that's like, wow, I really resonate or really draw to that person, then have the courage to go and ask that person to sit down for five minutes. And sometimes maybe don't lead with be my mentor because mentor is a very heavy word, right? When you hear mentor, you think time, you think commitment, and sometimes it can scare people, but just say, look, can I have 10 minutes? And that 10 minutes will lead to another 10 minutes and that will lead to another 10 minutes. And before you know it, you've got someone that is you know, sponsoring you and you know, providing you with that mentorship. So number two will be to seek mentorship. And number three, um, the hardest moments always create the best stories. So if you are going through hard moments, use it as, yeah, this is a part of my story. Never take it again, similar to the first point, but never take hard moments that you might be going through, whatever it is, as the end goal, like, that you always make for for best for for the best story. So, yeah, that's that. Those are the three things I will say. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, literally, for coming on the podcast. Um, the valuable podcast, very very valuable. Um, individual and and great story. Um, humble. Just so much wisdom that you've dropped today. So I really, really do appreciate it. Now, just where can they find you? I'm sure if you type in Reggie Nelson, you can just find them everywhere. You can obviously purchase the book, but yeah. is there any sort of platform you use more specifically? Um, Reggie Nelson underscore 10 is my Instagram handle, my Twitter handle, Reggie Nelson on LinkedIn. Um, and the Opening Doors book is available in all good bookstores, so um, Amazon, WH Smith, Waterstones, Foils, type in Opening Doors by Reggie Nelson. Um, you can order the book online, and it's also an audio version as well. So if you're not the biggest reader, I've narrated it, so you can listen to the audio book as well. So that's where you can find powerful covered all angles there is no excuse to, to not latch onto this information thank you so much reggie for joining us on the valuable podcast pleasure thank you for having me thank you so much for listening if you like this episode make sure to give it a five star rating and leave a review alternatively you can send us a dm on instagram at valuable podcast and sign up to our newsletter at valuablepodcast.com remember Increase the value you provide and you'll rise in due time.